Welcome to this special edition of Tommy Lahren is Fearless. Tonight, we're going to shine a light on two very important things, your food and the people who grow and raise it. Tonight, I'll speak to Koi Young, a fourth-generation cattle rancher who's been driven out of his industry, his livelihood, and his legacy by a force you might not be familiar with, Big Meat. Then, I'll chat with Troy Casey, a certified health nut who once embraced the vegan lifestyle but is now warning against it. Let's get into it. The show starts now. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Banks breathing down your neck. They want their money. And... You know, it's just, the bank kept calling me every single day, hounding me. I was just at a breaking point because I was just so upside down and I didn't see any other way out. And, you know, I just, I was going to take my life. And why are beef prices so high in the store and you guys are going broke? And I told him, well, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? Cargill, Tyson, JBS, and National Beef. Those are your four reasons why American farmers are going broke. Either something has to change or there isn't going to be any American ranchers left. Koyang is not only a cattle rancher, he's one of the forgotten Americans who makes up the backbone of this country, whether many realize it or not. For four generations, his family has been in the ranching business, but now his family ranch, like many just like it, is hanging on by a thread. You see, while the price of beef might be up 20% or more, thanks to Bidenomics, the cattle ranchers that produce it they're just barely scraping by. And we can't just put that all on Biden, but rather what I'll refer to as big meat. See, the meat packers, the big four, Tyson, Cargill, National Beef, and JBS, they own 85% of the meat market, which means they control the price and the livelihood of our American cattlemen and women. They're also in the business of importing cheap foreign meat and passing it off as if it were product of the USA. I'll explain more on that in a little bit. But our American ranchers are being put out of business and for some put into the ground via suicide thanks to a whirlwind of factors beyond their control. Here now to give us an inside look into his struggle and a struggle he knows all too well, fourth generation cattle rancher from northern Missouri, Coy Young. 
Koi, I want to thank you so much for telling your story. I don't know if you know this about me, but I come from a ranching family in South Dakota. My uncle still runs a family ranch. So your story, the things that you're talking about, I know that reality all too well as well. And I think it's so impactful when ranchers speak out. I want to talk first about the plight of the American ranchers. Obviously, that clip that I played at the top, you discussing it, and you brought a lot of this to light. But tell me what it's like for you right now as an American cattleman? Well, we've seen a pullback from the high in September, you know, down 16.7%. So on top of that, we have, you know, higher interest rates on your operating notes at 10%. So, you know, a lot of guys are going to lose about 25% right now from September. And it's just, it, it, it doesn't pencil out on a small scale. I mean, you're doomed for failure. You know, a lot of guys operate in the red, multiple years and you know you only have two years out of 10 that you're profitable and these past couple of years with inflation being so high it's just really ate up your entire margin and then on top of that your 10 percent, you know interest rates at the banks that you're borrowing money to feed your animals and to stay afloat is just so high that it doesn't work anymore yeah and i want to talk about that uh, as well, and and what exactly that dynamic is, because a lot of people don't understand. I mean, you mentioned in your clip, I've mentioned it many times. Uh, the average person goes to the grocery store and they see the price of of beef, of meat in general, and they're like, "Wow, you know, this is incredibly expensive." Obviously, the demand is there, but they're thinking, "Well, you know, these ranchers, they must be doing well because the demand is high, the prices are high." But let's get into that a little bit and let's let's explain to those that are unfamiliar with the process exactly how much of that you guys are actually taking home and how much of the profit you guys are actually seeing if any. And if not, why not? Well, since the you know the past three decades, we've seen a huge decrease in the retail dollar getting back to the family farm. And that went from 70 cents on the dollar 30 years ago to 30 to 35 cents now. So we're getting half of what we used to get 30 years ago, and we're paying 2024 inputs now. You know, that's like I said in my speech, you know, my dad always said you could sell your calves in 1975 and go to the dealership and buy a new Chevy pickup. Well, that still holds true today. You could still sell your calves and buy a 1975 Chevy pickup. Yeah. You know, there's no parity in the markets for, but the farmer gets paid. The farmer's been getting squeezed out for the past 30 years, and it's all going to the packers and the grocery stores. They're making a ton while farmers continue to pay, get paid less, and we pay all the inputs. Like, you know, last year alone, I you know I sold my cattle in March. I got out, and I actually ended up running my land out was able to make more off of rent than I was off of my cattle. And that's where we're at. It's the cows no longer can pay for anything. You have to have multiple streams of income just to feed America and go broke doing it. So right. you know, I need to get two off the farm jobs just to keep my cows so I can feed everybody else. You know, it's just, it doesn't make any sense, but that's where we're at in America raising beef here because Input costs last year did go up, like I said, about 125%. Right. And cattle prices only went up 18% last year. Right. In 2022 to 2023. So it's just, it's just a complete recipe for disaster. So, you know, a lot of Americans became familiar somewhat 
with the plight of the American rancher through blockbuster shows like Yellowstone. And they watch it. And, and obviously, as someone who's born and raised in South Dakota, whose family has been in the ranching business for you know many generations as well, I know that a lot of the stuff depicted on Yellowstone is theatrics and it's drama and it's not real. And in fact, I'm sure you watching it, seeing the way that they're ranching and the way that they're going about their business is not exactly realistic. But there are some themes that I did think broke through and maybe got the attention of some viewers out there, and that would be how hard it is to stay afloat. Now, I'm sure that you're not probably like the Dutton family. You probably don't have a helicopter and all brand new equipment and, you know, a chef that cooks for you. That's not real life for most American ranchers. But the theme of not being able to keep pace and not being able to, you know, keep up with the upkeep of everything you have to keep up with. And then if you are able to hire help, a lot of ranchers right now are not able to hire help if they can even find find it. So let's talk about that a little bit. And for those that are not you know, familiar with the industry, what can you tell people that have kind of a misconception of what ranch life is really like? Well, it's your right now, I mean, you're scraping by, you know, your pension, your pension pennies, you're trying to save every dollar. Like my last two years in the business before I sold in March, I had cut out all my fertilizer for one year, which was a big expense because your three F's of farming are feed, fuel, and fertilizer. Those are your biggest expenses. And that's what went up. I mean, fuel went from $1.89 under Trump to over $3 with Biden, and fertilizer did the same. Fertilizer costs doubled. So, I mean, that's why I say you're paying right there. That's over 125% increase in just a year and a half. Yeah. And Cattle went up eighteen percent. So I mean, you got to be a Houdini to figure it out because it doesn't work. You know, right. when your product you're selling goes up eighteen percent, and everything you pay to make it goes up one hundred twenty-five percent. It it just doesn't work. Do you think that this is fixable? Because um, I've been advocating for a long time. Um, back during the Trump administration, prior to the Trump administration, I've been advocating for it for as long as I can remember in this industry, because I am from a ranching family, advocating for country of origin labeling. Um, a lot of the, the the ranchers that I know, a lot of the ranchers I've spoken to, they tell me that that would be a game changer. And for those that aren't familiar with it, I want to give just kind of a brief summary of what that means. Right now, you mentioned the, the meat packers. The meat packers are getting rich, but a lot of these meat packers are getting beef from Brazil and other places. And they're passing it off as American beef when, in fact, it's not. And the reason they're able to do that is because they package it in the U.S., but it's not born and raised in the U.S. and in some cases not even slaughtered in the U.S., but it's got that product of USA label on it because we do not have country of origin labeling currently on our, our beef products. So the Americans that go to the grocery store, they see product of USA, they think they're getting American beef. A lot of times that's not the case. They're getting foreign beef and it's all mixed in, in with each other. And that's why... You guys who are raising cattle the right way, a lot of these family ranches that are doing good work out there, raising the best product out there humanely and with your heart and soul, you are not seeing the return because these packers are getting this cheap foreign beef and you're not able to differentiate your product. Is there anything that I'm missing from that narrative and that story that you'd like to clear up for those that are unfamiliar with that concept? Well, history has a way of repeating itself. And uh, you look at the current administration of who's the Secretary of Agriculture. Well, Vilsack was the Secretary of Ag when MCRUEL was repealed December 18th of 2015. You think he's going to reinstate it when he was for repealing it? 
No, it's impossible. Well, let's talk about during the Trump administration as well, though, because I was a big critic during the Trump administration. Um, It's not necessarily Trump's fault, but um, he didn't have the best people in charge either. And they also didn't make moves for country of origin labeling. And there are a lot of red state governors, a lot of uh, ag governors like my own Governor Chrissy Noem in South Dakota, John Thune, Senator John Thune, who represents South Dakota, obviously a big ag state, my state, home state. Uh, They did nothing either. So I feel like I wish we could just place the blame on Biden and his administration. But this has been a problem that's been going on since at least the Obama administration. And I'm concerned that there's not uh, a lot of Republicans or conservatives that are in the corner of the American rancher either. No, there's not. And it's funny you bring that up. I was going to bring it up. But the, when Trump saw the USMCA flooded the United States with cheap foreign beef from Canada and Mexico, that was another slap in the face of the farmers. So now we basically got essentially open borders between Canada and Mexico, which Canada is our number one importer, Mexico, then Australia, New Zealand, and then Brazil. So they're bringing in all this cheap foreign beef from Mexico that's super lean because it's hot in Mexico. You can't add fat on the cattle because they they won't gain any fat because they're so hot there. And, you know, Canada, they're bringing in beef from there. And it's just the packers control all the imports. And the past two years, we have had record imports now. We now import more beef than we export. And our cow numbers right now are at a historical low of 28.2 million, down 700,000 from last year. And that's the mama cows that have the babies, like you see in this picture that we slaughtered for our beef. We're down 700,000 cows to the lowest inventory since 1961 now. And we have almost double the population. And the amount of ranchers going out of business, you know, it's it's just, it's mind boggling. I did some figures last night. You know, the USDA says that average herd size is 44 head. And if you figure that out, 28.2 million, divide that out, you know, we're looking at, at 17,000 a year 34 years of this, if this keeps up, American cow ranching is going to be extinct. Do you think this is purposeful to drive y'all out of business? Do you think that this is by design? It is, and it's exactly what you said under all the administration. Old Sonny Purdue in the town hall meeting in Montana got ran out of town saying, you boys better get big or get out. Well, that's basically the narrative. It's corporate America going to own everything. They're going the way of the hogs, the way of the chickens, but they haven't figured it out yet with beef because it takes, you know, where I'm at, 3.6 acres of ground in the summertime per pair to run a cow-calf pair. So it takes a lot of land to run cattle. So they're just, and now it's all the, the climate change stuff that's coming with, you know, the GRSB, the Global Roundtable for Sustainable Beef, you know, the World Economic Forum behind it all, the WWF, they're all, they're coming for America. So just, they've got America in their crosshairs for the climate stuff. And, you know, American beef agriculture only actually accounts for 7% of emissions, not 33% right. like carries. You know, the guy has no idea what he's talking about. Right. I mean, they're so stupid. The, you know, the big green, big meat, big government, all all working together to drive out the American rancher and the American farmer. And what I also think is interesting here is I think that I know the way that American ranchers are um, because I've grown up with them. Oftentimes mm-hmm. proud, quiet. You don't really fight for yourselves because that's not your business. You're out there. You don't have time to. But I think a lot of people are also unaware because, you know, we have this big movement of 
you know, organic and family right. farms and people have little hobby farms or they have a chicken coop and they all of a sudden think that they're, you know, a, a hobby rancher or farmer. But I wonder if this movement understands what you're saying, that, you know, the people that are horrified by factory farms, and I, I myself am horrified by them, um, I wonder if they were to realize what American ranchers are currently doing and the way that you guys take care of your animals and your livestock, I wonder if there would be a shift in the hearts and minds of some of these people that wouldn't necessarily be your allies, but if they understood what you're trying to preserve, maybe they would get it, maybe they would be on your side, maybe put their voices towards what you guys are trying to do. Well, and that's, we've seen a lot more of that in the past, you know, since the pandemic. The pandemic revealed that we had a huge food supply problem, you know, and that's what happened when these huge four packers that do all of our processing shut down. And then you saw the grocery stores were empty and everybody was losing their minds. And that created a huge backlog in the smaller processing community where uh, people buy in beef direct from the family farmer. You buy the actual quarter, half or whole, and you pay them for the beef. And then you pay the locker for the processing and you buy it in bulk. Well, in the long run, it's, that's actually cheaper. I mean, you can buy a whole quarter or a half or, you know, a whole for you know, about four fifty to five dollars a pound, and that's for steaks, roasts, and hamburger. And that, when that happened during the pandemic, I mean, they're they're just now getting caught up at the local lockers, and then you know that was a huge issue. We saw that there aren't enough smaller lockers to absorb, you know, our protein processing in case of a catastrophic event. I mean, our food supply is vulnerable. Right. And that's very scary. We don't have enough beef in this country right now. Feed our own people. We import enough to keep up with the demand. And there's no reason for it. We have enough farms, enough ranchers, enough people here that are willing to raise the best quality beef in the world, but they can't afford to do it. Right. Well, and as you mentioned, this is probably by design. Um, I, I think that the food supply is vulnerable, but I think the powers that be, the globalists, I think that they want it to be that way. I mean, you go after the food supply, you really cri can cripple a nation. And going after you, you know, under the guise of big green and emissions and all of this, and they're able to create more of their fake meat, their lab meat. They're able to, you know, have the Chinese buy up more land. You know, this all feels like it seems like it would be a conspiracy, but it's it's real life for you and for those that do what you do. Last thing I want to talk about is the mental health aspect of this. I know another part of being, you know, an American cowboy, an American rancher is talking about feelings and talking about struggle uh, and plight is not something that is the traditional cowboy or rancher way. But we know from the stats that the American farmer and rancher, they're experiencing some of the highest rates of suicide right now and mental health crisis of any industry, including law enforcement. Talk to me about that. I know that that's personal for you. Talk to me about what the American people might not know, uh, what you and you, uh, those like you are struggling with when it comes to your mental health. Well, that's like I said in the video, you, I was born into this life. You know, I was born under a 778 acre farm. My dad worked his butt off his entire life to build and pay for to leave me and my brother. Well, my brother and I don't get along, so there you go. We split up the farm, so now we each have half to make half as much. And it just, you know, in this day and age, you gotta, like Sonny Purdue said, get bigger, get out. And that's where we're at in American agriculture. And it's just the small guys that have been doing it their entire lives, you're born into it. You wanna keep doing it. You love it. You love the animals. I mean, I can go out, my, before I sold my animals, I can go out and tell you every single personality of every one of them. 
and you know tell you which ones are good and good handlers, which ones aren't, which ones have the best calves, without even looking at paperwork. I mean, you know the animals that well because you love them. You take care of them. And you know, people like it like it's inhumane, but it's not inhumane. You know, it's it's your livelihood. And when you reach the point to where you can no longer pay your bills, I mean it's depressing. You you, you go like you get what you get and you don't throw a fit is usually the uh, saying at the cell bomb when you sell your calves because you have no control over it that day. You know, some of them might do well, some of them might not. And the buyers that are there from the big four that are buying up all these cattle put into this food supply system. You know, we go to the background, we can go to the finishing lots, and then they'll and ultimately go to their processing facilities. And we're just, you know, you get what you get, and then you, you do your figures. And then you're sitting there looking at, okay, I'm still negative 28 grand. What am I going to do? It's like, they keep borrowing money and then attack on interest and just keep digging a hole. I mean, I dug a hole for my dad passed in 2011. Did, you know, there was a good spike. You know, everything went to crap basically when they repealed input and started flooding our country with foreign beef to keep the price suppressed. And just keep driving the prices down and now attack on inflation and you know it just you can't make a living doing it and that's what you've done to pay your bills and you can no longer do it it's like i'm 41 years old now i gotta make a lifestyle change and do something else or go back to my old job when i had my it was in my 20s or but it's like ultimately i wanted to be able to farm mm-hmm. and raise animals and feed the country but you know, it's basically, it seems like we're at a point where you, you're feeding everybody going broke doing it and nobody cares. Right. They, but they should care. And that's where the farm to table movement's really taken off since the pandemic. And there's a lot of people out there online selling their beef. But to get to that point, the cattle farmer's problem is cash flow. The bank gets paid t- every 12 months. Well, you only have one crop of cash to sell every 16 months. So you have four months and now you're borrowing more money to get by. and just digging a hole. Mm-hmm. And to even go to the off the farm, like if I were to raise it from birth to slaughter, I mean, that starts at conception, day zero. Calves born at nine months, you wean them at 16 months. This is total time. And then from 16 months to 25 to 30 months, that's when they'll be slaughtered. So you're looking at two years before you get a return on that and raising it all yourself. And you're paying all the inputs. Mm. And you know, our entire feedlot sector, this country's broken. You know, those guys are only making 40 to $70 a head. And that's why people are like, why do they have to have these huge feedlots? Well, they're making 40 to $70 a head. They can't feed out 10,000 animals to make it work. And- I, I can't even imagine what um, you guys are going through. I can to some extent because, like I said, my uncle is doing the same. And he is doing a lot like what you're doing. He's going to rent out the land because he just cannot stay afloat currently and he goes through the same struggles that that you're going through it's something that i've heard so many times such a a similar story from so many ranchers that i work with and i talk with and you know i wish that i had the solution i don't but i will tell you this 
the American people need to care, and I will do anything that I can with my platform to get the American people to care, to understand, and then, God willing, we get Donald Trump back in office, and I will again advocate as hard as I possibly can for country of origin labeling, because I think that that could be the game changer that would switch this all around, at least give you guys the fighting chance you deserve. I want to thank you so well, much for being so vulnerable and for sharing your story as well. No, thanks for having me. Can I add one more thing there, Tommy, on the end? Absolutely. That, uh, but I mean, I would love actually to talk to Trump about this issue because he's talking to all the big leaders, the lobbyists, people telling him, oh, everything's fine. It's business as usual. You know, if an actual farmer would talk to him and explain to him how bad things are, he'd probably open his eye and he would do something about it. But he's got, you know, like Sonny Purdue, Mr. Big Business, Big Ag, whispering in his ear, no, everything's fine. Look, it's business as usual. So, you know, that's where I try to advocate as much as I can. I mean, I'm online and I see people saying, well, all of our foods labeled. Like I got an argument on Instagram with a guy and I was like, well, no, our beef and pork are no longer labeled where they come from. Yep. And he's like, no, cool is there because, you know, our avocados and our lettuce and everything is labeled. Like, yeah, that is, but our beef and pork are no longer labeled and haven't been since 2015. And the biggest thing you can do is just keep advocating. You know, anybody I meet, I talk to them about the industry and tell them what's going on. And, you know, by the time they get done talking to me, they're like, okay, I'm going to buy direct from a farmer, which we could get everybody to do that. I mean, that would be great. I mean, if we had a thousand family farmer owned, 150 head per day packing facilities, that would put a dent in the industry. But the problem is the big four run them out of business. Mm-hmm. And all this money and subsidies that they did after the pandemic, you know, there was a local locker by me, was literally in business 18 months and they went under. And it's all about numbers because, like, the big packers have 2,500 to 6,600 head per day facilities. I mean, they have 250 people working the line, mostly illegals. And, you know, they pump out a lot of beef and it's cheap because they can do so much. But, you know, the, the local lockers, you know, like I say, if we had 150 head, you know, we got a thousand facilities like that. Right. It would put a dent in the industry. And oh, I was thinking the subsidies. Everybody says, you know, farmers, you get all this money from the government. Row crop farmers do. Mm-hmm. Farmers, anything. No, I'm glad that you brought that up because there is, yeah, there is a a big misconception that, you know, farmers, as you said, do get the subsidies. Ranchers don't don't get that same help from the government. Um, You don't get the money that they get. And that that really helps the farming industry, as you said, the growers, but not necessarily those in the livestock business. So I think that there's just a big education problem. And uh, as you said, I think that we can join movements with maybe even the more like, hippie, organic people, I think if they understood your plight and your cause, I think they'd be right there with you. So it's about joining forces with them. Uh, I'll do whatever I can to get the ear of, of Donald Trump. Um, I've tried in the past and I'm going to I'm gonna keep trying for you guys because like I said, you know, your livelihood is honestly, it's part of my livelihood as well in my family and in my home state. So I want to thank you so much for being out there and advocating and for sharing your story. It truly means the world and we're going to keep fighting. God bless you. God bless your family. And thanks for everything that you do for this country, whether people realize it or not. Thank you, Tommy. Glad to have you on here. Thank you. Thank you so Bye. much, Kwai.
All right, now that we've discussed the who part of the food, let's discuss the food itself. It's not just the big meat industry that's driving our ranchers and our collective health into the dirt. It's also big green and big fake meat. These forces have fooled consumers into thinking that a plant-based diet riddled with impossible and fake meat is the healthy choice. Well, guess what? They're lying to you. Joining me now to debunk the vegan health craze is certified health nut CEO and author of Ripped at 50, Troy Casey. All right, Troy, I just discussed... um, Beef, meat, health with uh, a fourth generation cattle rancher. So now I know kind of the backstory, where the food comes from. But I want to talk about the food itself. So listen, I'm born and raised in South Dakota. I think beef is what's for dinner. I think that eating meat and eating real animal protein is the way to go. I think that's how God intended it to be. But there is a big craze, and that's the vegetarian, vegan lifestyle. And so many, even including my own friends, have tried to convince me that veganism is the way to go. It's how you really keep yourself alive longer. It's how you you preserve your youth. Um, But I know that you've been warning against it. So please tell the people what they need to know about eating a plant-based diet exclusively. So let's, this is a big conversation with a lot of nuances and caveats. So uh, first of all, life eats life, the closed organic life cycle, the uh, energy, uh, the source of all energy on planet Earth comes from the sun, converted into photosynthesis uh, through plants. Chlorophyll is an exact match to your hemoglobin. There's an electron transfer of magnesium um, and uh, uh, and iron uh, in that uh, equation. And then you've got uh, the herbivores eat the plants and the omnivores eat the herbivores and the plants and everyone dies and the little animals get to eat everything. And so this is the closed organic life cycle. Life eats life. It's not going away anytime ever. Um, And so the food supply in America has been tampered with through commercial agriculture, pesticides, herbicides, petrochemical byproducts that stick these chemicals to the plants. And this has caused a lot of sickness in the world. The incidence of cancer has skyrocketed since they have claimed the war on cancer. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, um, and then you you have uh, this vegan agenda or this vegetarian agenda, which lots of vegetables and whole foods can be cleansing for the body short term, However, long-term, if you're not getting the proper nutritional requirements, i.e. protein, the body will catabolize itself through a process called gluconeogenesis, and it will literally break down the muscle tissues to feed the brain. And you see this with a lot of long-term vegans, a lot of weakness, premature aging. I've been frequenting health food stores for many years, and I went vegan Uh, for a a little while, two years, and it was unsustainable in the end. I got sickly, I got skinny fat, I lost too much muscle. Um, And in the first six months or so, it was very cleansing. I I got results as far as uh, feeling better and looking better. So the quality of food uh, is directly related to, the quality of food that you eat is directly related to the quality of life that you live. So the conversation around food and nutrition needs to happen uh, uh, with quality, not necessarily what you eat. We are omnivores. We adapt very well. And so um, whatever is available, we can um, ultimately 
uh, ingest and digest. And so when we start looking at these food paradigms, and I'm very suspect with this whole drive towards veganism, and it's aligned with what I can see the World Economic Forum wants us to eat a bunch of bugs and mm-hmm. uh, and weaken the populace. Yeah. And so I, th- I think there's, you know, I, I, I've heard it called vegan eugenics before, and that makes some intelligent sense. And again, this comes from someone who did two years of it. I read the literature, the dogma. It sounded great. And then I applied it. And my mentor told me a long time ago, results never lie. So what were my results? And then what are the results as a professional uh, health practitioner? What are the results of the other people that are dealing with this? And I see hormonal imbalances across the board and usually gut dysfunction, including candida, and then starting to eat sugar. And then they go into fruitarianism and other extremes. And then as we saw last year, that girl died. Yeah. So I want to talk about this a little bit because, you know, I have vegan friends and nothing against them. They can live their life the way they want to live their life. But, you know, they often tell me that, yes, they're not eating animal protein, but they take protein supplements. And then if they do enough of the protein supplements and other sources of protein, that they can make up that difference. Now, I'm very skeptical of that because I don't think that there are enough supplements in the world to replace actual animal protein. But what do you say to someone that says, hey, listen, I'm taking all these supplements. I'm getting, you know, I'm eating a bunch of spinach that has protein what do you what do you tell them about the actual science behind that theory well um b12 is the critical linchpin and um it has to be processed through an animal to make it bioavailable for us and i've heard the arguments i can get it through spirulina i can get it through um b12 injections (laughs) which ends up being synthetic and so uh, Chris Crester, who debated uh, one of these documentary guys, I think it was What What the Health, he was a Buddhist monk, and uh, he was very interested in doing no harm, ahimsa, and, uh, and eating a veg- vegan and vegetarian diet. However, uh, he got extremely sick uh, from the... Uh, gluconeogenesis, the body started to break itself down. And he was a researcher. And he um, he said that the best diet, as far as he could see, uh, would be a plant-based diet and eating four ounces of mollusks or uh, organ meats uh, per week to get that balance. And so and I like Chris Kresser's uh, research on, on that as well. And so at the end of the day, everything is conjecture, opinion, hypothesis, et cetera. I like to look at traditional values and the application of those traditional values. And Weston A. Price Foundation has a lot of data on that subject. And so um, women, for example, need 22% body fat to uh procreate a child properly where it doesn't start to take it out of their bones and cause issues postpartum. And so, uh, and then, you know, you add to that, um, before all this predictive programming started coming down the pipeline about fat shaming and, and making fat cool, we (laughs) used to have very skinny models and, um, and so th- this this whole element around being skinny, and I think veganism popped in with uh, 
uh, in there uh, on that scenario as well. And so you see just propaganda and manipulation of ideas. But again, go back to tradition. What were we eating when we were farming? What were we eating when we were hunting and gathering? Roots, barks, berries, shrubs, any kind of uh, edible plant. And then the history of the spear shows that we were eating um, grass-fed remnants. And okay. we and the warriors would e eat the organs first. Yeah. Well, I'm not about to eat probably an organ, but I will tell you, um, you know, I think that there's also, this is such a difficult debate because you talk to a vegan and, and, you know, they're about animals first. In a lot of cases, animals and health are kind of the two reasons some of the, the wackos are doing it for climate change. I mean, RIP to them. Don't really care. Um, but as far as those that are just under the impression that it's uh, it's more helpful for them or that they want to save animals, I think it's because we have had this influx of factory farms. And I talked about that with my last guest where you see, you know, these feedlots or you see kitchen uh, chickens and little cages and you see it and it's horrifying and, and you don't want to be a contributor to that. But that is totally separate from eating meat and, and animal protein sources that actually come from family farmers and family ranchers and, and those that, that raise their livestock well and, and in a wholesome, humane way. I mean, to me, that's where I stand on that as someone who comes from a ranching family. But on the health aspect, you mentioned, you know, at first when you had the vegan lifestyle, you dropped a lot of weight. Is that because your diet had to be so restrictive because vegans can't eat really any damn thing at all? Is that part of it? Well, um, I don't know. I mean, I was eating more fruits and vegetables when I went vegan. And so uh, I was living in Italy at the time and I started shopping at the farmer's market, which was a new concept for me uh, being an American growing up on the standard American diet. And so um it had a cleansing effect, but after a while, I couldn't maintain my muscle mass. Right. And so, uh, and, you know, now at 58 years old, I've gone through, you know, a handful of diet paradigms. I consider myself an omnivore or let's put it more like I'm a, I'm a paleo keto vegan. How about that? All right. <laughs> and so I just, I just like to stay balanced and I like to use regenerative farms and work with the farmers at the farmer's market and other companies that do mail order. Uh, and I know that I can get legit, like Joel Salatin, Polyface Farms. He's in the Shenandoah Valley. He was in the movie Food, Inc. Um, I work directly with farms and farmers to get the highest quality I can source. Now, for me, because I've had digestion issues and I've worked with Robert Kennedy Jr., and he sees that it has... Um, there's a connection to vaccines and autoimmune and gut dysfunction. There is a connection. So whatever my dysfunction in my gut has driven me to become an expert in nutrition, especially my own nutrition. So the litmus test for me is, does it digest? I don't care about the literature so much. Let me look at tradition. Let me source from a good farm and then let me eat it. Do I feel good? Does it digest? Do I poop it out the next day? And if that's the case, then I stay on that track. And then ultimately, I look in the mirror, I look in the toilet bowl. Those are the tests for me. There's a lot of human error and blood tests, genetic testing. And so uh, I'm going to use the marker on feeling, looking, and then my results in the toilet bowl. <laughs> 
Oh, I think that is uh, just such a great place to leave it. Um, I appreciate you telling the truth about all this and, you know, getting us back to our roots. And, and I think that, you know, every person has to make their decision for themselves. Uh, I agree with you. I, I think it's better to eat animal protein, especially good animal protein that's not filled with soy and whatever else they're injecting into it and eat fruits and eat vegetables and, and dang, and the stuff really isn't that hard, but we've made it harder than it needs to be. Thank you so much for your research on this, for speaking the truth and for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you and God bless you, Tommy. God bless. All right, folks, now you've got the info you need to make your own decision when it comes to the food you put on your table and your toilet bowl. Who raised it? Who grew it? And is it even real? All questions I hope you'll consider next time you head to the grocery store. From Nashville, God bless and take care.